So in, in 1834, actually 1843, Karl Marx wrote his famous phrase, religion is the opium of the people. In the greater context of the quote, Marx was criticizing organized religion's effect on a society. You know, he believed that religion had the same function that opium had for a sick person. What opium did was it reduced the immediate, it reduced the immediate sufferings of someone and provided them with pleasant illusions that gave them the strength to carry on. And for Marx, religion was just a distraction, a form of escapism from the reality of life that provided really the lower class, which is illusions of a better life to come. And he believed that religion might, it might have dulled the pain of life, but it did nothing to address the deeper issues that were leading to that pain. So in his words, religion is just a false hope. So talking about Karl Marx might seem like an odd choice to start out a series on Christmas. You know, so what is the man whose ideology led to the deaths of over 100 million people in the 20th century have to do with Christmas? Plenty. Because this morning, you know, we're starting a four-week series on Advent leading up to Christmas called Advent, Remembrance and Anticipation. You know, at Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Jesus but it's really easy to forget how much more the birth of Jesus represents. Because Christmas at its core is wild and dangerous. It speaks directly to the deeper issues of life. You know, Christmas is a story of how God voluntarily took on the pain and the struggle of what it means to live in a fallen world and took that head on. The message of Christmas, it is such good news not because we use it as an escape from reality, but because through it, Jesus changes our reality. And uh, so I, I want to show you a, a short video to kind of get, you, get your brains going. And it's one that's going to require your full concentration. So I know the weather. There's a lot going against you this morning. But let's just, let's just see. In it, there's going to be two groups of people. One group's wearing white shirts. One group is wearing, wearing black shirts. And the people in white shirts are going to be passing the ball back and forth to each other. And I want to see if you guys can count how many times the people in white pass to each other. But be warned, this is not easy. Most people don't get it. So you've got to really focus. You guys ready? I, are you guys ready? <laughs> I have a little bit more hope now. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. How many passes did you count? All right, how many? Who? 24? That's a bold, that's a bold approach. <laughs> 15? 16? 14? All right, the answer is? The correct answer. 15. All right, but here's the thing. Raise your hand. How many of you saw the gorilla? Okay, for those of you who didn't, play it again. 
15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? This video is from research by Dan. <laughs> it's amazing what you can miss when something is designed to draw your attention away from it. So I'm watching the second time and be like, what? How did I miss that gorilla? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, I'm just signing all of you guys up for science experiments. Uh, <laughs> so because at, at Christmas, there are, there are really two holidays that are, be, that are be currently being celebrated. You know, the first holiday, it's one designed to make sure businesses stay afloat, and it's pretty necessary for our current economy to survive and function. It's a commercialized holiday we all participate in, and it's a lot of fun. There are presents and parties and lights and trees, and really it's something everyone kind of unites around for the most part and enjoys. And it demands our attention. But as followers of Jesus, we're really straddling two worlds. Because when we come to worship Advent, we are also worshiping and participating in something completely different. You know, the commercialized Christmas is really neat and clean compared to what we celebrate in the arrival of Jesus. Because there is nothing cute and cuddly about the message of Christmas. It's wild and it's dangerous. You know, before the birth of Jesus, as you're reading the narratives, we're introduced to a guy named John, Jesus' cousin. He's commonly referred to as John the Baptist. And his job was to prepare the way for Jesus. And uh, when you read what he has to say, there's not a whole lot of heartwarming, kind of catchy sayings that work well for Christmas. He says things like, You brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? Yeah, there's not a lot of feel-good Christmas cards with that. I tried this year on my, on my, on my Christmas card, and Mary, it, just, it just didn't seem like it fit. Uh, I'm just kidding. I didn't really put that on my Christmas card, <laughs> but maybe I should have. Uh, Christmas, it makes claims that have to be dealt with, that the child born to Mary and Joseph was the son of God. It refuses to let you escape from thinking about the harsh realities of life because Christmas announces the arrival of God who was willing to take those harsh realities upon himself. Jesus did not escape from the pain of the world. He dove right in voluntarily. You know, Advent reminds us that God's love is messy and that the light of the world had to come because the world was in darkness. Christmas is a reminder that both us and the world we live in is a broken place. It's a brokenness that no party can fix, no dress can cover up, and no present can make up for. And our Christmas presents can only distract us for so long we're right back to reality. But it's right in that moment that hope comes in because Christmas is a season of hope. It's a season where we look back in order to look forward. Christmas is telling a different story about the, about the true nature of the reality of the world. Or as Tim Keller puts it, Christmas tells us that despite appearances to the contrary, our God is in control of history. So my hope during this season leading up to Christmas is that you'll be able to take your eyes off of some of the distractions for a moment and look deeply into how hope, peace, joy, and love are fulfilled in Jesus. 
This Advent, it's a time that celebrated the four, typically the four weeks leading up to the birth of Jesus. And it's a time of remembrance and anticipation. And it's actually just as much about the birth of Jesus as it is about the end of the world. Because followers of Jesus at this time, we celebrate the incarnation, that beautiful miracle where God took on flesh, lived among us. But we also look forward in anticipation to when he will come back and redeem this broken world and make it all right. And one of the benefits of the church calendar is that there are built-in seasons that make us stop, step back, and focus on the things that are most important. So if you haven't picked up by now, (laughs) we are going to look at how Christmas and how Advent is a declaration of hope. And I want to read the definition that was read earlier. It's great. It says this. Hope is waiting for God to bring about the good in our lives. Hope is different than optimism, which just looks for the silver lining in circumstances. Instead, biblical hope chooses to wait expectantly for God to bring his goodness to bear in our future, regardless of how dark our circumstances are. In this hope, it comes from God's faithfulness in the past. We look backwards in order to look forwards. And our hope is that God will liberate humanity and the entire universe one day from evil. So the passage we're going to spend some time in, it's not a traditional Christmas text. It's 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to that. It's a, it's a small letter towards the, towards the back of your Bible, but we also, we also put it on the screen so you could follow, it or, uh, follow along. Um, hope empowers us to put our current circumstances in their right context and live with joy. And this is not escapism. It's a word that I made up, but I kind of like it, called embracism. <laughs> It'll catch on, probably never. Uh, but embracism is embracing about what is real of the world, regardless of what our circumstances look like. So let me read uh, to you from First Peter. This is chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So 1 Peter, it's a letter written by Peter, who was an apostle, friend, and companion of Jesus. He's writing this letter about 30 years after the death of Christ, and he's writing it to a group of people living in modern-day Turkey, kind of dispersed Christians that were starting to face adversity for their faith. And he's encouraging them to root their hope in Jesus so that their lives can reflect their joy, regardless of their circumstances. Because it's not your circumstances. It's how you respond to your circumstances that reveals where you're placing your hope. 
It's not your circumstances, but it's how you respond to them that's going to really reveal where you're placing your hope in good times and in difficult times. And so Peter, even in this passage, talks about how biblical hope starts by looking back. Peter addresses his audience by calling them to look back first and foremost at the mercy and faithfulness of God that has already been shown to them. And so in verse 3 says again, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So start there. Remember what is true about you. Uh, so I have, uh, I have two pictures here I want, I, want, I want to put up, and they both d- depict different things. The one, um, the one on the left, it is a, it's a newspaper article. That, uh, the one on the left is a newspaper article that talks about the end of World War, end of World War II or the end, of the end of the war with the Germans. The one on the right, it depicts uh, Paul Revere's famous ride when he warned the colonists that the British are coming. Excellent job with your history. <laughs> so each of these announcements requires a different response. So the one on my right, your left, the response required for that is celebration. It is news of what has already been accomplished. This is not, here's how we defeat the Germans. It's victory. This has already been accomplished. The Paul Revere one is more like a battle plan, get ready, get some strategy going, because something, something is coming up. One is a celebration, and one is talking about a battle that hasn't been won yet. So your responses to, to each one of those announcements is going to be different. So when the Bible uses the word gospel, it's talking about the proclamation of good news. It's the announcement of what has already happened. It's, it's the euangelion. It's the announcement of a victory. You can't add anything to it. You know, I talk to a lot of people, and I feel like people get hung up because they have the wrong starting point with, with, with Christianity. I run into this belief all the time. The Christianity, it's, it's good advice on how to live a better life. It's something that helps you become a better person. It's almost like this is a battle strategy for getting through life. But that is not what we celebrate at Christmas, and that is not what the gospel says. The gospel of Jesus is not good advice on how to live a loving life. It's a story of what has happened. It's a declaration of of victory, not a battle strategy. It declares that Jesus has died and rose again, and so our hope is foremost anchored in what God has done for us, not in, man, if we try really, really hard to be a good person, everything's going to be okay. That is not biblical hope. Um, and this is why it's so important that the events of Jesus' life actually happened. You know, at Christmas, we are celebrating the actual reality that God became a man, was born of a virgin, and lived a perfect life, that that miracle actually happened. Because Christmas, it's only important if it's true. Like, this story is only important if it's true, because that's the claim it is making. You know, the Apostle Paul who wrote so much in the New Testament, he, he admits, he says, essentially, if the stories about Jesus are just fake news, then Christians of all people are the most to be pitied. Like, it just lays it right out there. If this didn't really happen, then our hope is based in nothing. Christian hope isn't spiritual sentimentalism. You know, it, leaves, it doesn't leave any room for, like, it doesn't matter if it's true, 
It's the power of the stories that make you feel good. Like, it's very, like, blunt that, like, that that's the, that the opposite. So our hope, this is what separates Christianity really from every other religion, is that it's based on something that, that happened in history. Paul says, if Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, then this is all a waste of time. It's, you know, it's, think about that. I mean, th- that should both give you hope, but also you're like, I gotta take this, I gotta take this seriously. This is making really specific claims because Christianity is not advice. It's good, it's an announcement of good news that has to be responded to. And the spread of the early church, it makes no sense if this didn't happen. Because it happened about with a, whole, with a group of people that would have known for sure whether Jesus rose from the dead or not. It didn't happen with second and third hand witnesses. It happened with the disciples who were there, who at one point were scared and ran and didn't want anything to do with Jesus. And then all of a sudden, were going out to the entire Roman Empire proclaiming that Jesus is Lord and he rose from the dead and they were willing to die for it. Like, that does not make sense if that all happened by 12 people that knew that was wrong. Like, liars don't make good martyrs. Plenty of people die for their faith, die for a faith that isn't true, but almost no one dies for something that they know isn't true. And especially not everybody that was, that was, that was involved. We can have a living hope, though, because we have a living God. But our hope is not just in the present. Our hope for the present isn't just based on the past, but it's also based on what is promised for our future. Listen to verse four. Peter says that we as believers have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that's kept in heaven for you or for us, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. That's what Christian hope's all about. It's that one day God will right every wrong and redeem the whole universe. That's how big of a vision hope is. It's not just that, you know, he can fix these little things going on in your life, but it's big and bold enough to say we have hope that one day God is going to redeem the entire universe. That's what's going on at Christmas. It's not just sweet baby Jesus (laughs) in a manger. It's this hope that God is going to redeem the entire universe. And those who have been born again to a living hope and have faith in the resurrected Jesus, we know that we have an inheritance waiting for us. And that gives us boldness because it's promised. It's sure because of what God has done in the past. And if that is true, and we believe it, that allows us to face our current circumstances with so much more courage and have real hope. And biblical hope, when I read about it, it's always given in the context of struggle. It, it, it is. I did this. Uh, there's a great online tool to help you study the Bible called the Blue Letter Bible at blueletterbible.com. And, you, and there's so many free study guides with it. But I did a word study on the word hope. You just type it in and it shows every instance in the entire Bible that the word is used. And it's always in a context of struggle. I was shocked to find out that other than the book of Psalms, the book of the Bible that has the word hope in it the most is Job. I just, I, I, I was like, wow. Listen, listen, just listen to a couple of them, how powerful and courageous this word is. This is Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Psalm 39, 7. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Psalm 42, 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him 
my salvation, and my God. I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob, and I will hope in him. Hope is a powerful, courageous word. You know, every year, sort of around the end of February, beginning of March, I completely lose hope that spring is ever going to come. I do not like March. It is light out till 7 o'clock, but it's 32 and windy, and it's just, it's the worst. <laughs> if somebody plopped you down in New Hampshire in March, and you didn't know where you, and you didn't know what time of year it was, and you just looked around, and you felt the elements and everything, you would have zero reason to believe that spring is anywhere near. There would be nothing in your circumstances that would give you hope. You're like, oh, this will all be gone soon. But every year, around March, we start to see little promises that spring is coming. We, see, we start to see little buds in the trees, little signs of spring that are the assurance that no matter what we feel, spring is coming, it can't be stopped. Even when there are those years where winter's last gasp drops a big snowstorm on us, it's almost easier because you know what? You're done, winter. <laughs> Spring's coming. And that's exactly how the New Testament refers to the return of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about how Jesus is the first fruits of what's to come. That because Jesus rose from the dead, our resurrection and our future hope is secure and promised. It cannot be stopped. That, that is the bold hope of 1 Corinthians 15. And so when you come in here today, what, what circumstances do you find yourself in? Now, things may be great, and you're like, ah, hope's easy. Things may be really hard, and you're feeling like it's hard to listen to a message on hope, and I'm feeling hopeless. But it doesn't really matter what season you're in. Advent is shouting, put your hope in Jesus. Advent is shouting, put your hope in Jesus. You know, sometimes God... we. Have you ever had those God-given moments of clarity? Or maybe it's something you've heard over and over, and all of a sudden it's just like, it's like God removes something from your, and you can see it clear for the first time. It's like, wow, how did, how did I miss that? How did this truth never, never impact me like that? You know, maybe you're here this morning, and you're, it's, it's as if you feel like God is just trying to tell you something. Something is becoming clear, maybe for the first time. Maybe you're seeing the shortcomings of what you've been placing your hope in and how that's, how that's affecting you. And you're realizing it's, you know, it's like, it's like for so long you've been focusing on those people that are, that are wearing white, that are passing the ball all around, and all of a sudden you just, your attention shifts. And you see, I was just thinking, I'm just going to compare Jesus to a gorilla suit, man. <laughs> but, you, but you see Jesus just like getting your attention. You're like, I almost missed it. My eyes were on this the whole time, and he's been there. Trying to, catch my, trying to catch my eye. What are you trusting in for your future? Because the news of the gospel says trust in Jesus. Because we cannot fix the mess we got ourselves into. Like we, we got ourselves into it and we can't get ourselves out. But Christmas is a season of hope. It's the announcement the world is broken, but God sent his son to fix it. You know, we give gifts at Christmas because Jesus because God gave his son as a gift. He became a man, lived a perfect life to show us what God is truly like. 
but he came, and it was also a rescue mission. His mission was to come and seek and save the lost, and he did not come to just go around and dispense out good advice. You know, hey, love your neighbor. Hey, be a good friend. Hey, smile. Like, those are all good things, but that was not the crux of Jesus' message. It wasn't cheer up, it'll get better, try harder, believe in yourself. His message was so much more honest than that. He said, I came to seek and save the life of the lost and give my life as a ransom for many. Because the gospel is news, not advice. It's hope. And a gift is only valuable if you receive it. And accepting the gift of the cross, it really requires humility. Because everyone comes to Jesus through repentance and faith. Because at our core, we're sinners and we can't fix ourselves. Think about that. The message of the cross is that it took the like the incarnation, God becoming a man, living a perfect life and dying on the cross in our place, that is what it took to reconcile us to God. Like that, should, that should just dispel any notions that like, as long as I try hard and be a good person, I should be okay with God. Christmas is just shouting, no, this is what it took, but we can have hope because Jesus is our hope. And hope does not let us sit back. Hope is not passive, Hope is active. At the end of the letter, Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for the reason for the hope that is in you. Always be ready. If you are full of hope and joy and your circumstances don't line up with it, people are gonna say, what's going on? Why do you have so much hope? Peter says, be ready. Be ready to tell them about the hope that is in you. Because we can become, we can be bold because Jesus is our hope. And we know that one day what we hope in will become a reality. So this Advent season, don't, don't miss the gorilla. Don't miss this amazing message that is given to us. You know, those other things are great to focus on, but there's one thing this season for a follower of Jesus that should be commanding our attention. And that is the hope, the joy, the peace, and the love that are offered to us in Jesus.